Hey guys, and welcome to the official podcast of Develop Your Element, Develop Your Element Unplugged. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about leadership. It's a little bit of a continuation of last week's topic. Last week's topic, we talked about team building. This week, we're going to be talking about leadership in particular. There will be certain overlap because certainly one of the most important things in leadership is team building. But in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about how do you become a better leader, more effective leader, how do you train leaders, how do you build leaders on your team, and how do you manage your personal challenges, and create? how do you create a support network as a leader. So it's a bit more than, than, than team building, there's way more as an individual this, this week, and uh, just for context, next week we're going to be talking about interconnected goals, which is going to be a continuation but also a wider topic where we're going to be talking about not just business, leadership, entrepreneurship stuff. We're also going to be talking about personal stuff because interconnected goals is affects all your areas of your life. Personal, professional, romantic, fun, you name it, it's all interconnected. So that's going to be next week's episode. Um, so, if you're joining us for the first time, Develop Development is a personal development system that talks about personality theory, personality psychology, but not in a traditional way. We don't give you a personality test. We don't limit you or define you or tell you what you are. In fact, you're, you're a mix of all the different types of personalities. They're just different moments where it's easier to step into certain personalities than others. And also, different environments, different types of stimulus might give us more energy or might drain our, our inner battery. Context, introverts, they respond better with lower social stimulus, whereas extroverts with higher social stimulus. We can all enjoy all types of different stimulus, but when we understand what toll certain stimulus takes on our body and our mind, we can prepare for stepping out of our comfort zone, and we can recharge after stepping out of our comfort zone. And that's what allows introverts to get on stage and socialize and be uh, studio extroverts when it's needed. It's what allows extroverts to structure themselves, organize themselves, and be a bit more calm and, and focused in, in, in key moments. So in Develop Your Element, we actually explore tools. It's called Develop Your Element for a reason. It's not just identify your element. It's develop your element because we think there's a lot that we can explore, a lot we can develop, taking into account personality theory. And yes, we talk both into the personal side and the business side. This episode is a bit more focused on entrepreneurship stuff. Uh, but, I mean, leadership is something that you can look at from different perspectives. As a parent, you're also technically a leader. As a um, teacher, you're also technically a leader. There are many different influencing roles where you need leadership skills, not just as an entrepreneur, but certainly the narrative today will be more focused on that. So anyway, this episode, uh, we're going to be talking with my mother and sister and who also are my business partners here at Develop Your Element. So welcome once again. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, <laughs> We're very excited about this topic uh, because, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of advice out there about how to be a good leader. Uh, you know, if you want to be a good leader, you have to do this, you have to do that, and there's some great stuff out there for sure. But sometimes there's also stuff that you know puts people in a certain box, like, oh, you have to be this way to be a good leader. And it ignores the fact that there are many possible ways of being a good leader. There are many very effective leadership styles out there. So there is a degree to which you also have to look at, okay, what works for you? What will be your personal approach to your leadership position? 
Yeah, I mean, at development, one of the reasons why we talk about personality theories, we don't want to be a one-size-fits-all system. We understand that the advice that I need is different from what my sister needs, from what my mom needs, from what you need. Because we have different personalities, we have mm -hmm. different contexts, we have different goals, we have different passions, we have different strengths, we have different uh, experiences. So we need different things. And yes, when it comes to leadership, if you are anything like me, you've probably gonna appear through your life where you have studied great leaders like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, um, Mark Zuckerberg, you name it, different entrepreneurs, and you've wanted to kind of model certain things after them. And you might have realized that what worked for them is not necessarily what's going to work for you. If you even look at those um, examples I mentioned, they're very, very different. They're very, very different personalities, very, very different businesses, different business models, uh, different leadership styles. Mm -hmm. So we kind of need to understand that they found success because they found their approach and they didn't become successful modeling their approach from others. They might have learned from others as well as you can learn from any grade, but sometimes you're going to learn that, okay, that leadership style works for me. And sometimes you're going to learn that that leadership doesn't work for me. And you need a certain degree of flexibility too, because different times with different people, you will require to behave differently, to approach the issues differently, because mm -hmm. it depends also on the personality of the team as a whole and the personality of each individual. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to be present with the situation that's in front of you, uh, which I think is a big mistake some leaders make, is that they have a certain structure and a certain plan about how they're going to lead, and they don't have room for flexibility for changing circumstances. Uh, and a lot of really great businesses have failed because they weren't able to adapt their leadership styles and their business styles as markets changed, as the world changed. Also... You have to remember that you have different personalities in your team. Yeah. And yeah. we talked about it last week. Mm -hmm. The importance of having different kind of people in your team. Yeah. And when you have different kind of people in your teams, you have to be able to approach them in a way they can understand. Yeah. And having a one-to-one -one communication, de obviously depending on the size of the team, but as much as possible, getting to know them, getting to stimulate them uh, the way they can be stimulated. No, and, and, and also depending on the size of your team, if you're going to be uh, running a company at scale, you have to be good at training leaders. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, because uh, everyone needs to feel heard, everyone needs to feel included, everyone needs to have a voice. And that doesn't mean that you have to uh, lose sight of your goals or your vision as a leader in mm -hmm. the process of trying to make everyone happy, let's say. It's it's not about making, sh like, th there's, you don't want to go to an extreme. You don't want to go to an extreme of being so complacent, so, uh, it's not the right word, but you will get what I mean. Like, so submissive to the feedback, to the requests of every person on your team. You don't want to go to that extreme, but you certainly want to make them feel included. And yeah, you don't, don't want to go... To you, you will never be able to please every, everyone. No, uh, but the more context you have, of the more understanding you have of everyone's individual context, goals, processes, the more you respect their processes, Absolutely. the mm -hmm. more uh, you're going to 
be able to make the general atmosphere be a positive atmosphere where people feel included and heard. And there's a comment here from Steve that's actually a very good point. He goes, I'd say Jobs was more of a boss than a leader, and same with Elon Musk, both visionaries who revolutionized the world, but they have... they have leader-like qualities, but I'd say they don't tick all the boxes. Yeah. And yes, interestingly enough, those are two very good cases of people who are very, very good visionaries, but working for them is actually something that many people have reported at basically the stress, the fatigue, yeah. the mm-hmm. difficulties of working for both, uh, what's it called, Jobs and Elon Musk. Both are cases of individuals who have to some degree, embrace the one-size-fits-all approach to, uh, uh, if you can do it, you can do it, That's uh, there's no excuse, that's like, this is the goal and we have to get there no matter what, and, and in a way, invalidating people. And it is something that has caused them a lot of challenges. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at them critically, yes, no one can argue with the results, no one can argue with their... Uh, visions and their abilities to change the world. I I have great respect for both of them, but I definitely agree with that. It's probably not the best examples of people who uh, really have great leadership abilities in in terms of they have burned out a lot of people, they have created a lot of enemies, they have had uh, definitely high turnover, especially in their management. Uh, they, they've, they've certainly had some so, some big challenges uh, over the years. Uh, very di- different stories in both of them, but a lot of overlap at the same time because they both have uh, certain similarities in the personality. They both have certain introverted structures, very uh, exact, precise approaches, and... Uh, a bit of how shall I say stubbornness with with yeah. approach and as a leader you gotta have some perseverance yeah. and Absolutely. and stubbornness sometimes is a positive trait but there's a time and a place for that mm-hmm. and I think it's a very good point uh, that Steve made that yes they're definitely visionaries who have revolutionized the world but if we're studying them as leaders there are certainly things that we want to learn to not do. Mm-hmm. Um, because from experience, having tried to be a bit like Steve Jobs, having tried to be a bit like Elon Musk, my personality, my context, my goals don't align with that. Mm-hmm. And there are some businesses, there are some uh, uh, visions where you maybe need to be more forceful than others. I understand that there have been visionaries to the degree, the degree of changing things so much beyond what was imagined possible that in those contexts, sometimes you've got to make executive decisions where people go and they scratch their head. I understand that. But also as a leader, I think one of the best skill sets that you can develop is the ability to give context to your staff, to your managers, because if you just say, this is the plan, you've got to stick with it without giving context, they're not going to put the same amount of effort into it. They're going to burn out faster. They're going to mm. get fatigued faster. And Elon Musk, one of the things he, he has said is like, if you work twice the amount of hours, you get twice the amount of productivity. And the equation is not that simple. Mm-hmm. Let's Absolutely, face it. There yes. are some hours where you can get a lot done, and there are some hours where you're just sitting in front of the computer and not a single word comes out or not a single line of code comes out. 
where you really don't get anything done. And mm -hmm. as someone who in the beginning, I burned myself out trying to work 20, 22 hours a day with that mentality, I can very clearly see that some days in two hours, I do more than in other days in 20 hours. Yeah. And that's a variable that you have to take into account. You have to understand that productivity does not equal hours worked. Yeah. Yeah. No. And as a leader, you have to understand how different people can be more productive and that different people need different things to be productive. Yeah. Uh, one example is as a parent, if you're a parent who, if you're a person who personally needs to, you know, isolate yourself in order to concentrate on one thing at a time, you, maybe you have a kid who has the TV on and the radio playing or music playing while they're doing their homework and you're thinking, turn all that off to concentrate. Mm -hmm. But maybe your child needs that to concentrate. Uh, no, and, and another thing I want to say, talking about Elon Musk and talking about Steve Jobs. Uh, remember that entrepreneurs have different phases in their processes, mm -hmm. uh, in their stories, right? And Elon Musk is still relatively early on in his grand scheme of things. He's achieved that ton but he still has a lot more to 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 explore if you look at steve jobs however uh obviously we have his whole entire life to reflect on and one thing i will say is in his later years there certainly was a growth in emotional intelligence Absolutely. Uh, i i do recommend you watch the interview that he had with bill gates mm -hmm. where they really explored the gratitude they had for each other the mutual respect they had for each other mm -hmm. the collaboration they've gone through the awareness of uh, certain errors in leadership that steve jobs made because many of you listening are probably like how can you criticize let's say one of the m most if not the most successful entrepreneur in all uh, times and say he's a bad leader well, if you remember your history, you would know that in the 90s, he wasn't leader of Apple for no, no. Uh, most of it. He was pushed out of the board of directors. He did have to go through a very long process of discovering himself and uh, redeveloping his, his business. And uh, he had to do a lot of work to get back. I mean, he had a great, great fall. And yes, he had a great rise after that fall. And that's something as leaders we can also learn from. Mm -hmm. that, that, I mean, it's if you're not failing, if you're not being rejected, if you're not uh, making mistakes with your decision-making processes, you're not innovating enough. Mm -hmm. No, uh, you're playing safe. You're I'm playing safe. it too safe, right? Yeah. So, so, so there's a lot of value in making mistakes. Mm -hmm. As long as you get up for, uh, and stand up and get back on track. Uh, and I think if there's something that you can learn from uh, Steve Jobs, it's look at his evolution, his yeah. growth. Um, look at how in his later years he focused more on gratitude. He focused more on, instead of focusing on his competition and destroying his competition, and instead of playing a zero-sum game uh, for Apple to win, Microsoft had to lose. When he changed the narrative, when he changed the storyline, when he really took control and brought Apple back from the dead, really, I mean, it was at a point where it was dying, uh, a lot of the choices he made were 
really thanks to his growth in emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Because in his early years, he was so arrogant. I mean, he was always arrogant, but he was so arrogant, so forceful, he burned a lot of bridges. Mm -hmm. But then there came a point where he understood there are some bridges that have to be rebuilt, including with the competition. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a fascinating interview if you watch that interview. There are Cases where you have keynotes, Apple keynotes, where Bill Gates is launching Internet Explorer and uh, Windows, pro- uh, well, Ma- Microsoft products for the Mac. Because in that moment in history, funny enough, the biggest developer for the Mac was Microsoft. Yes, Apple had a <laughs> bit more, but outside of Apple, the c- company that was next in line as the one with most development for the Mac was, uh, what's it called? Microsoft. Um, we have an, uh, duh, duh, duh. Okay. I'm reading a comment. You, you <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, and that's a really important thing to look at too. When you want to develop your skills as a leader, you have to not see the competition as competition. Uh, there are people that you can learn from. There are people that you can collaborate with. There are people that you can have certain strategic alliances with. And if your focus is, I need to destroy the other guy in order to win, you're destroying yourself too. And we see that we see that in business. We see that in politics. We see that in so many environments where you know you create so much negativity, put so much negativity out there that it reflects badly on you yeah. too. So if you can look at other people in your field, even people you're competing with as resources, as people you can learn from, as people you can collaborate with, as people that you together with them can grow the industry or the market or the area that you're in, that already sets you apart from so many other people in leadership positions. And as a leader, you have to have such a large vision for the future where competition is also welcome because competition will invite you to innovate, mm-hmm. to to break barriers. So if you're too focused on fighting the small fights, yeah. mm-hmm. you are losing sight of your uh, the bigger picture. Yeah, uh, I mean it's 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 like confusing a battle and a war. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like prioritizing short-term goals over long-term goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is when we talk about competition, obviously monopolies suck because companies get complacent, they stop innovating. When there's one player in the market, I mean, things get stagnant. It's very clear that Apple is better because Samsung and Microsoft exist, Mm -hmm. and both of those are better because the others exist. Uh, Competition, when it inspires innovation, is great. Mm -hmm. But when it inspires in and kind of feeds insecurities to the degree that the focus becomes destroying the competition and it turns into a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. that's when things get bad. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, as a leader, you have a lot of influence on your team. And one of the things that I think Steve Jobs did very well when he got back at the helm of Apple, because he did a lot of things great that you can learn from. He also made a lot of mistakes you can learn from. But one thing he w- did very, very well was he understood that both in his user base, like Apple product users, in his company, people who worked in the company, had that mentality 
and that zero-sum game that for Apple to win, Microsoft had to lose. And he, with his leadership, he changed that narrative. Mm -hmm. He changed that narrative and led by example changing that narrative. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was part of creating that narrative for many, many years. Mm -hmm. I mean, for many years, he was so competitive and so destructive in his uh, competitive style that he burned a lot of bridges and offended a lot of people. But when he started rising and when Apple started rising, that was when he stopped the zero-sum game mentality, he changed the narrative and mentality and culture in the company Mm -hmm. and in his user base. He focused more on collaboration, he focused more on innovation, he focused on eliminating like uh, all the products that didn't work well and finding where they could make the difference. uh, And if you look at it, also Apple stopped, it's like they stopped trying to compete head on with product uh, categories that already existed. Mm -hmm. While they kept innovating them, Apple got to where they are today because they identified areas where no other company had mastered it. Mm -hmm. When it came to iTunes and the iPod, no one had figured out a clean, organized way to distribute content legally and easily. They came out with it. MP3 players at that point, they were junk. Yes, if you're into piracy, it was cheaper, but organizing the content on an mp3 player during that period it was a mess yeah. when you had an I, uh, uh, ipod and you used itunes it was such a clean experience so they defined the standard there then they came out with the uh, the iphone when the iphone came out think how the phones were before the iphone came out <laughs> i mean there was no real capacitive touch the touch screens were pressure sensitive they scratched terribly uh the uh, I mean, it was just the user interfaces were useless. It was a big, big, big problem. Okay, so behind the scenes we have Steve, a really good classic tech nerd, and uh, he's commenting that some of his favorite phones were some... Yeah... What's that? Pre-iPhone. Pre-iPhone <laughs> phones, let's put it that way. What was it, Motorola Q? Yeah, the Moto Q, I had one too, yeah. yeah. With Windows. The Nokia E71. Okay, yeah, I didn't get into Nokia, but I did get into the Motorola Qs. But yeah, I mean, in retrospect, looking back, they were junk. In that moment, they were cool, but the moment the iPhone came out, it changed the game, right? Mm-hmm. And as leaders, you have to be visionaries. You have to know, you have to go to uncharted territory. And this is something that I've had challenges with people on the team where they're like, you got to find data, you got to find information, you got to find statistics, you got to find. Yes, sometimes you can back yourself up by, by data of stuff that has already existed. But when you're innovating, when you're creating something new, and you're trying to create something that has as little direct competition as possible. You're always going to have competition. If you think you don't have competition, you are lying to yourself. But certainly you can do a lot of things to separate yourself from the competition. And I've certainly had conversations with some leaders who were taught that they had to do everything by the book, everything follow the statistics, the studies, the research, the, the data that's already out there. And sometimes you have that. But when you are visionary... 
sometimes you're in uncharted territory. Yeah. And I oh, think yeah. if you look at Elon Musk, you look at Steve Jobs, they certainly were in uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at leaders that are in uncharted territory, obviously sometimes it can be a little bit hard to understand their vision. It can be sometimes it can there can be a delayed understanding. It can take years for you to understand. Oh, so this was what you were aiming at. Because during the process in uncharted territory, when you're developing something new, there's going to be a period of research and development. There's going to be a period of MVP, minimum viable products, that are so shitty, so like uh, frustrating, that you're going to be like, who wants that? And you guys, if you think back, every time there's been a major upgrade to a platform or a product you know, some people are early adopters and they're excited, but they're actually a minority. Most people are like, oh my goodness, I have to relearn all of this. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness, this is frustrating. And sometimes their feedback is correct, but you've got to go through that period of innovating. I mean, if you look at Microsoft, some of the Windows iterations have been so frustrating, like Windows 8, I mean, with no start button. Well, there was a start button, but the menu was like full screen. And like the, it was such a different process. And they realized they had made a mistake and kind of backtracked a bit. But at the same time, they had to keep innovating. They had to keep exploring. I don't agree with the choices that Steve Ballmer made as leader during that period. But I do agree that there had to be innovation and learning from. And if you look at Microsoft, they're another company that during the Windows 8 era, when the Microsoft RT computers came out, like there was a period where things were going downhill when they bought Nokia and got very late into the game of cell phone market, and they got so late into the game that developers didn't even want to develop for their platform. I mean, there was Microsoft was going downhill fast. Now they've changed CEO. Now they have gotten into more quality control, they have certainly listened more to the clients. And now if you look at them, I think they just beat a trillion uh, dollar market evaluation. And you should probably get to a mic. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get the nerd, grab a mic. Is that one on over there on the mixer? Uh, no, this one is. This okay. is Okay. Okay. Um, Do you have a camera? Uh, that camera should be close enough. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess we can look. Um, yeah, um, Satya Nadella, the new CEO of Microsoft, said that uh, if anybody on the executive boards um, or high up in Microsoft was to actually um, talk about or like judge the success of Microsoft based on them passing the trillion dollar market cap, he would be upset. He doesn't even mention it. He didn't even mention it in a memo. Um, he's decided to um, re-inspire the engineers and all of the teams at Microsoft um, by removing the blocks towards innovation and really bringing back the life that Microsoft had during its Windows 95 days yeah. when Bill was at his best in the innovative space, but maybe not in the leadership space because yeah, yeah. he was a bit of a dick. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, one, of the, one thing that, I mean, you can learn from all these famous success cases is you can learn from their mistakes. And that, I mean, if you look at 
Bill Gates, you look at Steve Jobs, they've had periods where they have burned a lot of bridges, where they have made terrible mistakes, and there's a period of making mistakes and then recovering from those mistakes. And there's a personal growth that happens with leaders. And that personal growth that happens with leaders is a process that sometimes takes years. And obviously we judge them by their final results many times because it's like, okay, they went down in history and they have had this success, this success, this success. But sometimes we forget about those low points where they really were not popular. And now you look at them and in retrospect, it's like, okay, well, at the end of the day, they were so perseverant that they managed to learn from the mistakes, make changes, and they got to where they wanted to be. Uh, but, but one of their success was not the leadership. It was their brilliant minds to create products that sure. were visionary. It was not the leaders skill, uh, leadership skills. Uh, and that we have to think about it. Because a great leader inspires everybody to innovate. Look at Google. We don't have many times specific names, but how it keeps reinventing itself, how it keeps uh, growing. And different places where they have different kind of leaders that take ownership and believe in what they are doing and get inspired to innovate, to create more for everybody, that's the kind of leaders we should be having nowadays. Yeah, I mean, Google is a much better example of good leadership. If you look at Google, they've had a lot of very, very empowering, inclusive policies from very early on. They, for many years, had a policy that basically allowed members of their team to dedicate 20% of their time on their own passion projects within the company, but without needing to seek approval. I feel like we talk about tech companies a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do. You, you know what leadership I really miss? What? I miss, and this, you can tell me that it might not be the right topic, but I miss the, the type of leadership that Obama brought to the table. Sure. I mean, politics is also leadership. I mean, it's, it's a very different type than entrepreneurial leadership uh, because you have the context of policy that makes people basically have preconceived notions about individuals just based on their policy or on which side of the political spectrum they're at. But if you look at Obama as an individual, and you look at Donald Trump as an individual, without looking at their policies, while I certainly agree more with Obama's <laughs> policies, um, look at them as individuals. Donald Trump is a person who makes a lot of decisions based on insecurities. And his insecurities basically causes him to pick fights with a lot of people, uh, Twitter fights and uh, trade wars and investing money in very useless, uh, flexing... Uh, actions uh, to compensate for his insecurities. Whereas if you look at Obama, he always demonstrated such confidence that he actually had the humility and the tact to know when to take a slightly more passive approach, but he also knew when to take executive action, when he uh, went to take uh, like a more strong stance, and I think a good leader knows how to pick their battles. Oh, yeah. In the last two and a half years, um, if you've 
just gone back and seen or heard any of uh, Obama's public addresses, you feel a sense of calm and uh, a sense of like, okay, things can make sense. It's not just a, a big whirlwind of um, outrage and and deceit. Um, I, I, I don't want to get like political or polarizing or anything, but there's a, a, there's a sense of calm that that I feel when I hear. Um, things like this and it's like you just you have that sense of confidence that you, you feel like the person that's that's in charge and that's addressing things and that is telling you everything is going to be okay is right and mm -hmm. that's a really big quality that i've found that obama has um and i feel like he has that capacity whether he goes back to being a lawyer or just a public sure, speaker sure. Or, or whatever he's doing i feel like he'll always bring well, no, that he, quality he, to the he, table he, he's a class act i mean he's a He's a classy guy. He's a he's a confident guy who who has enough humility, self awareness uh, to really uh, not need to overcompensate all the time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we can mention another a person on the other side of the political spectrum, just for balance, uh, John McCain. I mean. I generally don't agree with Republican policies as much as I agree with uh, Democratic pro policies. But uh, when it comes to individuals and their leadership and their abilities to ha uh, have certain tact, certain values, certain morals, I mean, if you look back at uh, when John McCain was running against Barack Obama, John McCain, whenever someone would make an incorrect statement uh, trying to create certain uh, associations uh, where with with Obama's name, history, uh, birth certificates, or all these things that Trump kind of stirred up. He had his back. He would be like, no, no, he's a he's a good man, a family man, uh, and uh, he wants the best for the country. We disagree with the uh, policies, but he's a good man, and he would take the microphones away from people that spread lies, whereas if you look at Donald Trump, he will feed those lies and that uh, false information uh, happily if it makes him look greater. And the, 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 the fun thing is you can look at statistics, you can look at numbers, you can look at approval ratings, and if you look at approval ratings, I mean, what he's doing is not working. What, what Donald Trump is doing is not working. Yes, he has strong support within the Republican Party. He certainly has a base that, that is loyal to him. But if you look in the greater like spectrum, a wide spectrum of data, it's very clear that Obama had a much higher approval rating. And, uh, and there were people that didn't like him too. Yeah, I mean, this is a, I mean, when we t there's so many different you directions. You can't make this. everybody happy, no matter who you are. No, no, the, right? I mean, uh, there, there's this uh, expert in, uh, I think she's from Stanford, uh, an expert on charisma. Uh, she's called Olivia Fox Caban. She has a, uh, a book called The Charisma Myth, I believe. She studies how you can become charismatic, even if you're an introvert. I believe she's an introvert herself that basically has developed a charismatic skill sets, character traits that she has developed. Uh, and uh, she talks about, for example, Bill Clinton, another famous case of someone who... Uh, use his personality to achieve a lot of things, including uh, being able to be a bridge for d 
different ideas and bringing Republicans and Democrats together uh, in many different instances. And she interviewed a lot of people, a lot of people on both sides of the political spectrum. And a lot of them said, I hated the man before I met him. I hated him after I met him. But when I was in the presence of that man, I loved that man. Like in different ways, they would describe the feeling of being in a room with him, right? And a good leader certainly has to develop certain charismatic skills, certain skills that basically connect with people who have opposing views who uh, and create bridges instead of burning bridges. And I think... There are a lot of politicians, there are a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, there are a lot of different types of leaders that have had success that you can study who have been very good at connecting people, bringing together people of different walks of life, different uh, ideologies. And yes, if you look at people like Donald Trump, you look at people like Steve Jobs, you look at individuals who certainly have had a lot of success, and you can praise them on, on their success. You can also look at the amount of moments where they've had downfalls, where they've made mistakes, where they've had challenges. Thank you very much for joining. I've actually been trying to get him uh, on camera a bit more, uh, but uh, yeah, when it comes to tech stuff, that's the easiest way to get him. Uh, on camera, I guess. Um, yeah, so, and if you want to check out his nerdy channel, it's How to Break It. And uh, he basically tinkers with a lot of nerdy stuff. So, check that out. And uh, yeah, so, getting back to the conversation of leadership. Um, I think one of the issues that you, I you were about to talk about was also be willing to learn from your mistakes. A good leader makes mistakes yeah, yeah. because a, a good leader is moving further away from everybody else uh, in a way that you you have this vision, you have to go alone many times before anybody can see your vision. And I see it with Yannick. Yannick has a vision and he never compromises on his vision. And we have a big team here at Develop Your Element. Well, we have an international team and a team that works full-time here in the office. And many times we don't see his vision. And many times we want to launch a product or we want to do this or that. And we are all about to mutiny uh, <laughs> against Yannick. And Yannick says, no. And he doesn't stop improving. He doesn't stop uh, or allow us to compromise on our principles, on the quality. And, and yes, sometimes we do launch things that are like, uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, I mean, MVPs and things. I mean, yes. uh, the, the we, we, we launch things like that, but always with the quality and the, uh, 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 and the vision intact. The and he never compromise on that. Mm -hmm. He never compromised. So as a leader, sometimes you will have to go it alone. You have to test the, the waters yourself and then come back. But you're not that leader if you don't have followers. Sure. I mean, uh, there's so many things that can, <laughs> directions you can go with, with that point. Uh, thank you for the praise. But uh, when it comes to uh, having a vision, and not and never settling and never compromising certain values and and goals. Uh, 
oof, there's so many different things. One thing is insecurities. If, if you're if you're leading based on fear, uh, if you're making decisions based on fear or based on desperation, that's going to come and shoot you in the foot. Uh, so, for example, here at the office, when I've seen people on the team kind of get impatient and want to launch things prematurely, that's where I've been like, nope. I, uh, I'm all for developing this. I'm all for giving you freedom to develop it. But when it comes to launching it, I mean, it has to at least be an MVP. Uh, uh, when I say MVP, a minimum viable product, a product that's good enough to work, but still needs more research, more development, more investment, more more work. Um, and if you do an MVP, do a, do a small controlled launch, get the data you need to build it further, right? So... Uh, for example, here at the office, when we've tried to do new things, and people are like, I want to get this launched by this date, and this date, and this date, and this date. I've unfortunately had to like push back dates and be like, I don't want to kill you, flow. I don't want to uh, cut your energy and excitement, but this is not ready. And you haven't thought about this thing, and this thing, and this thing, and the repercussion here, the repercussion here, the repercussion here. And we've got to make sure that all these things are intact and all the infrastructure is intact to be able to launch this. So yes, sometimes you got to be like, no. But sometimes you got to do the opposite when we launch this podcast. And let's face it, if you've been watching uh, the podcast live, especially, there have been episodes where the audio has been out of sync, where our camera has not been working or not focusing pro- uh, properly. Last week, we had uh, a few seconds in the beginning where there was no audio. I mean, when you're starting something new, sometimes you have to prepare your team to make mistakes in the process, learn in the process. And when, we're, when we were starting a podcast, everyone was like, what you want to do podcasts with professional cameras and uh, uh, microphones and a mixer and this and that from the beginning and are we even ready and do we have the gear and we literally got the gear like just before yeah he he almost had a heart attack when i described the level of production that i had in mind from the beginning he was like from the beginning like i mean first let's do one thing and and i there didn't compromise either i was like if there's mistakes, if there's problems, we deal with it, we improve episode after episode. I don't expect the first episode to be perfect. I don't expect the second episode to be perfect. But if by the 50th episode it's close to perfect, I'm happy, right? It's about where we're going. It's not about where we start. And Mm -hmm. the first podcast you're going to do is probably going to suck. The first video you're going to do is probably going to suck. The first article you're going to write probably is going to suck. Maybe not. I don't want to say it's going to suck, but be open to the possibility of failing yeah. in the process yeah. and getting back up and continuing yeah. because that's key. So you got to know when to say, no, this isn't ready. And you got to also know when to say, I know we're not technically ready, but we got to start somewhere because we'll never be ready if we don't start. Mm-hmm. Because there's yeah. some things where you have to learn on the go mm-hmm. and there's some things where you just got to make sure that there's some infrastructure, that there's some uh, ethical things, there's some uh, technical things in place, because otherwise it'll be a broken experience. This podcast, the fact that the audio was a bit out of sync in some episodes, was it a bit of a broken experience? Sure. But at the end of the day, the audio versions of the podcast, you don't have those issues. And with the video ones, I mean, the content is still there. It's still valuable. And... Every episode we learn. Every episode we learn something new. Every episode we're trying to improve uh, things with the podcast. And I think if your team sees the constant evolution, they will get that kind of peace 
But you got to communicate that the mentality is not getting perfect in the beginning yeah. because sometimes your staff is afraid of failing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your, uh, your, your staff is afraid of the consequences of things not being perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you're a leader that leads based on fear, yeah, that's going to cause a lot of mental shutdowns. But if you're a leader that assumes responsibility, if something goes wrong and you tell them, listen, there are no risks, no consequences, worst comes to worst, we redo it. I mean, if you kind of can lower the risks in their mind and take responsibility and say the focus is not on getting the first one perfect, it's about constantly evolving, that can help a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and, and that's where we get into the conversation of the difference between not compromising on your vision versus the social interactions you have with people. Because yeah. uh, it's one thing working with someone, collaborating with someone, and compromising certain things in order for the collaboration to work. That's very different from compromising on your long-term visions and goals. Uh, your ethics, things like that. So there are going to be certain things that you're going to need as a certain base for yourself as, okay, mm -hmm. this is what I want to achieve. This is how I want to achieve it in terms of yeah. ethics, in terms of how I treat people, in terms of uh, the way in which I approach certain situations. But then with the other stuff, you can be flexible with, you know, what kind of chairs do people need in the office? You know, that's a very different conversation from how are we treating people and, you know, what are we launching and how are we launching it? Yeah, I mean, one thing is your vision and your goals and where you're heading to. Another thing is how you get there. Mm -hmm. And yes, I mean, there we have mentioned examples of entrepreneurs and business leaders who've achieved a lot of their goals through maybe less ethical, less kind approaches. But if you want something sustainable and you want to also have your legacy be something positive, you got to think about how to make your staff happy, mm -hmm. make them feel heard, make them feel included. And the more you succeed in that, the more communication there's going to be yeah. and the faster you're going to solve problems and optimize processes. Because something I've seen here in the office is in the beginning, people that joined the company would, in a weird sort of way, put me on a pedestal and be like, he's the leader, so I can't say this or I can't do this in front of him or I like I don't want to make this mistake in front of him. And like there was because of the context they maybe had from previous companies that they worked at. And I had to basically spend a lot of time having individual conversations with, with each team member and also group conversations where I showed vulnerability where I asked them for personal advice, uh, emotional advice, where I showed them my humanity, where I showed them my vulnerability, where I demonstrated certain trust in them, mm -hmm. where I may listen to them and, and uh, consulted with them, and uh, not just with work stuff. Yes, primarily with work stuff, but I think some of the most impactful moments have been when I've shown vulnerability, shown that I make mistakes, that I have insecurities, that I have fears, that I have emotions. I have, like, mm -hmm. when, when I've 
demonstrated those things, people have suddenly be been able to open up to me much more mm -hmm. and come to me with much more ease and tell me, you know, this is not working, this process needs to be optimized, this I don't like, I need this. And we've been able to improve a lot of things very fast thanks to that open communication. But building that takes time mm -hmm. and takes effort and requires a certain level of vulnerability. And as a leader, to achieve that, you got to be confident enough to be able to be vulnerable in front of your staff. Yeah, and that's, a, that's one of those key things that I think not enough people understand is that it's not about having absolutely no fears, absolutely no insecurities, absolutely no problems. It's about being confident enough to be willing to let yourself be seen, not be perfect. Yeah. Uh, because exactly, like if you're working with a person who has insecurities, has fears, has doubts, but is always working on covering it up and is always working on not showing it and not admitting it, it gets very stressful very quickly because you know what's going on. Maybe you even want to support them, but they're not letting you in. So there's this wall between you that you know you can't cross. And then there's a lot of ways in which that's going to affect the work environment, the yeah. communication, the productivity, yeah. and so on. But if you're working with someone that with those same fears and insecurities is willing to talk about it, is willing to be open about it, is willing to be vulnerable, vulnerable about it, you trust them more. You trust them more because you know, oh, they're aware of it, they're looking at it, they're doing something about it, and they're not letting it stop them from moving forward. Th there's, a very a there's a very famous quote from many famous people in history in many different versions. I'm not even going to be able to tell you which is the official first one, but many different presidents and entrepreneurs in history have basically shared a similar quote to this. And it is, courage is not the absence of fear, but the decision that something is more important than that fear. Mm -hmm. And that's something we talk a lot about here in Develop Your Element. It's not about eliminating your fears. It's not letting your fears control you, and making something more important than those fears so that you have enough motivation to push through those uh, mm -hmm. feelings of insecurities. Because if you're not having fears, you're not human. I mean, yes, some people have way more fears than others. Some have a lot of irrational fears that certainly need to be worked on and eliminated. And certainly there are tools and processes and develop development. We have many different exercises that, that we do to eliminate fears. But there are certain fears that are healthy. There are fears that help us make better decisions. Because I can tell you that when I've had to develop, for example, the first time I had to speak on stage in front of a f uh, 500 people live, I had a lot of fear of failure before getting on that stage. I had a lot of imposter syndrome before getting up on that stage. What did I do? I channeled my fear into developing a badass presentation slash talk that would have such an impact and would reduce all the risks that I could prevent in my mind of people rejecting me or not listening or shutting down to the information. And I leveled up in that moment and I stepped into a higher quality of content and presentation than I had done previously with smaller events because in the smaller events I had less fear of failing so when it was only 100 or 150 people it's like eh, who cares like I don't want to say who like literally who cares but my 
feel like I didn't have that same motivation of getting it so right that I would be a little bit more relaxed about it. But when it came to that one with 500 people, it was like, okay, now I'm getting into a different league. Now mm. I got to do things a little bit better. So fears, if you channel them correctly, can help save your life in key moments. They help you uh, manage risks. And sometimes they help you improve your quality. Mm -hmm. But it's your choice whether you let your fears take you down a destructive path, a negative, destructive, competitive, egocentric path, or whether you let it take you down a path of innovation. Innovating because, yes, you might be afraid of the competition uh, beating you. You might be afraid, but your actions are key. Mm -hmm. You can channel that fear into something positive. So it's not about eliminating all your fears. It's just knowing how to channel them. Yeah. And yes, eliminating some stupid ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and I can tell you, uh, we have a, a, a workshop called Fear of Rejection. And I'm a person that is not fearful. And I well, remember... Well, thought you weren't uh, fearful. No, I remember you as a child asking me, Mom, are you ever scared? And I was like... No, and I've been through floods, yeah. uh, thieves breaking in the house while I was there and the children were small. And things that would scare a lot of people and it would not scare me. But I had a, my family had a strange fear of uh, becoming homeless and living under a bridge. And uh, that fear, I grew up with it. I had people in my family nearly living that way uh, and when I arrived to that uh, workshop I was not even taking it as a student and I was a host and when I started answering the questions and becoming real with myself I realized that fear was stopping me from creating a lot of uh, taking decisions that would take me close to the edge and since I overcame that fear my investments the way I work the way I run the companies I uh, I run and the way I behave in my private life has changed so dramatic mm -hmm. that it's incredible and I didn't consider myself a fearful person yeah. and yet that was informing every single decision Actually, I yeah. made yeah uh, even the way we live I mean we live few streets away from where we lived before. Uh, we pay a little more than we used to pay uh, before, but the places we live are grandiose compared to. Well, where we, we were. pay more than double because we ended up doubling the space. <laughs> oh well, but uh, but yes, in in, in 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 general terms, like basically the moment she assessed that ooh she was creating, I'm this making a lot of uh, both business and personal decisions based on fear. And she eliminated that fear. I mean, it was impressive how fast our team grew, our infrastructure grew, our quality grew. I mean, a lot of things it changed because uh, I say this is a family business because, I mean, they started for many different reasons, but a lot of it was developed because of challenges that my sister and I had with different personalities, certain clashes there. Uh, different instincts, different processes. And uh, uh, when when I kind of started this, 
they were basically the two individuals that helped fund this in the the early days and uh, helped also kind of both fund it financially but also emotionally and and uh, such and there was a, a certainly a period where we all were so fearful of the risks mm -hmm. that we were creating in very small. I mean, we were managing risks to such a degree that we were really just doing very small-scale stuff. And it was the moment that she identified that she was li living a life and leading based on fear, and she kind of broke that pattern that we all started leveling up. Mm -hmm. And I think as leaders, one of the things we have to be very careful with is not letting fears shut down our potential. Because mm -hmm. yes, as a leader, you sometimes have to do risk management. You have to calculate risk. You have to uh, certainly reduce chances of unnecessary conflicts and things like that. But you also got to take risks to have big rewards. Yeah. And there are certain periods of your life that it's easier to take risks than others. I get that. But generally speaking, every time you... If you have enough content, if you have enough vision, if you know where you're going, let's get that out of the way, <laughs> and you can see you're going on a good path and that the main thing limiting you is lack of risk-taking because you see that you've, in small scale, had many good results. You've validated the market viability. You have verified that it works. I mean, with Develop Yelment, we, when we started this, we started doing some live workshops in Japan and Brazil, in different countries with different cultures to kind of test it. And it worked very, very well. But we started with very small, small scale stuff. In big scale globally, because of our context, obviously, for those of you who don't know us, we are kind of mixed in our family. Mexican mother, Danish father, lived in many different countries, grew up on planes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and we still live uh, on. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to give context, not to brag, but to give context. When I was eight years old, I had visited 24 countries because we were always on planes, always yeah. moving. So, within our context. Doing it in different countries and different languages was not inherently doing it big scale. Mm -hmm. uh, every time we did events, no matter where they were, it was very small scale events mm -hmm. and very small scale investment into it. I mean, yes, tickets and uh, staff and translation, I mean, it all costs money, but we didn't really invest the marketing budgets we had to. We didn't really uh, do things at the scale we really planned to. Uh, we didn't really have team. We didn't, like, we had teams that we hired per event basis, yeah. but we didn't have full-time team. Mm -hmm. And it was once my mother identified that fear and eliminated, eliminated uh, that fear that we started investing in full-time staff. We built a full-time team. Uh, we started investing more in infrastructure. We started investing more in marketing. We started investing more in everything and elevating our quality very quickly. But to clarify, you got to make sure that you have market viability. You got to make sure that the basics are right before you take huge risks oh, and huge plunges. Mm -hmm. um, 
But certainly, if you're seeing a trend that you have spent an excessive amount of time doing that, like, it's working, but I am not seeing huge growth, that's generally a sign that now it's time to take bigger risks. Yeah. Uh, so... So that's something that, uh, as a leader, you gotta know when and how to approach risks. And, and if you don't have fear, you can take more informed decisions if you're willing to, right? Uh, but I really didn't even want to look at it. I would go into shutdown, <laughs> panic. Don't tell me. You yeah, know? And, and that's the thing that fear and insecurities will do to you. It's exactly that. It's it's not that. You know, sometimes we'll feel like, oh, I don't know how to manage risk. Oh, I don't know how to make well-informed decisions. I don't know how to. But many times in those t situations where we haven't known how to, it's because we've had those fears really loud in our head yeah. telling us, don't even look at it. Don't even try it. Don't even start. And, you know, one sort of, if we take it a bit detached from leadership to give a more visual example that a lot of people probably are familiar with, is certain like certain people who are almost afraid of technology because they had that feeling of like, oh, I'm bad at technology. Yeah. I'm going to mess it up. I'm definitely going to mess it up. I don't know what to do. So they don't even try. And, you know, that's one example. But if you apply that in your leadership skills too, if you have that instinct of, I can't because I'm probably going to mess up or it's probably going to fail or the risks are too high, if that's your mentality, you're not even going to take the steps that you need to take to find out. Yeah, to I, I can give you an example. Recently, I was with a woman that uh, was turning 50 years old. And she said, oh, I'm not going to study more. I'm getting too old. I won't learn anything. And few weeks before I've had uh, in a workshop in Uruguay or Uruguay, I had an 80-year-old 80, 80 lady taking and saying, I want to learn more. And I have a cousin that is 86, and she has to come here because she has been messing up. And she has to learn how the uh, 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 different personalities work. And I had a 14-year-old, too. So I had a very young girl learning and officially very old lady, learning and wanting to bring people of their own ages. And there's never the wrong time if you are clear, if you are working yeah, I mean from... Uh, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I just wanted to add a little bit to what Itzel was saying. Uh, yeah, and, and it's still relevant to what you're saying, that sometimes we shut down and come to certain conclusions that we can't do something. And sometimes it's because of age, sometimes it's because of education, sometimes it's because of resources, sometimes it's because of insecurities. Some I mean, it can be all kinds of different things, but we see it here uh, time and time again in the office. And when it comes to leadership, this goes a little bit related to last week's topic. When you're building a team, you have to understand that different people have different strengths and different weaknesses. Obviously, with personality psychology, you can make the mistake of putting them in a box and be like, you're this personality, so you can do this role, but you can't do this role, mm -hmm. and you're going to do this and only this. And like, If you define roles too rigidly, that's, uh, that's uh, I mean, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, but certainly, you want to have a business that runs like a well-oiled machine. So you want to also know who can I depend on for what, if I need this, who do I go to, so that the processes are efficient. But 
to reduce fatigue and to sometimes surprise yourself about the resources you have at your disposal, you want to be open to the possibility that people can do more than what they actually think they can. Yeah. Uh, so that's where going back to yeah. Google's idea of dedicate 20% of your time on things that you want to explore without needing to seek previous permission and be surprised at all the cool stuff that comes out of that, like including Gmail. Many people within Google at uh, that period were like, Yo, we're a search engine. We're not an email provider. Why do we want to fragment into that? Like, we don't want to lose sight and blah, blah, blah. And look at Gmail now. I mean, it's one of their most successful products. And clearly within the email market, I mean, it's the number one. So uh, one thing that you have to be aware of as a leader is you have to allow people to explore new ideas and never shut down new ideas. You have to allow... Uh, people to explore different capacities outside of their professional context mm -hmm. within developed development. 99% of our staff are working in things that are totally outside of the professional context, doing things for the first time. And yes, yeah, sometimes you've got to take a little bit more time and invest a little bit more money in training them. But many times, based on their personality, based on their processes, based on their priorities, there are some people that can learn new skills very fast, mm -hmm. and sometimes they have natural talents. We have a guy on the team that for a long time said, oh, I'm terrible <laughs> with image editing. Get, go ask David instead of me. Like, I can't do this. Go ask him. Go ask him. Uh, um, I say David because he's Mexican and so David. But yeah, so <laughs> basically they're like, go, go ask him. And... Uh, the funny thing is this guy, when he one day was open to exploring the possibility and just playing around, he ended up creating some graphics that were so beautiful mm -hmm. that we had professional graphic designers on the team that weren't like, <laughs> he's better than me. Yeah, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that specifically because we have several professional graphic designers on the team. Yeah but they're not the ones that do the majority of the, the graphic, graphic design. design. <laughs> 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 and, and that's exactly, like, if as a good leader, you're willing to take those moments and those opportunities where somebody just is interested in something, wants to explore it, doesn't know if they're going to be good at it, but if you allow them to explore it based on that passion that they have, based on that interest that they have in it, they can potentially be really really yeah. good at it so you know when you're assessing people for different roles it's not just looking at what's on paper what's on paper obviously means something but it doesn't always mean the same thing for everybody uh and there are a lot of people that can do amazing things that they don't have a paper to back up no and, and uh, showing that you trust someone enough to let them make mistakes and mm -hmm. to explore new things just that alone demonstrating that trust mm -hmm helps them become much more productive and much more consistent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. wanted to say something? No, I was coughing. So. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, so... One thing is having some type of structure. I think in any business, you need some type of structure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, if it's all chaotic, there'll be a lot of fatigue, a lot of burnout, a lot of inefficiencies. There'll be people who will get so frustrated, especially introverts. They require more structure and mm -hmm. organization, and they need to be able to predict their days and plan their days ahead. But even extroverts will be pr uh, frustrated by the breakdowns in the processes, the inefficiencies. So uh, you got to have some processes, but you got to have some structure. 
but you cannot make it so rigid that people aren't able to explore new ideas, aren't mm -hmm. able to innovate, uh, where people aren't agile. You got to have a good balance between structure and flexibility and agility. Mm -hmm. And because part of the business is going to run like a well-oiled machine and it's going to be almost static, it's going to be consistent. And there are going to be parts of the business that are going to be a roller coaster. <laughs> and you got to be all for that roller coaster because many <laughs> times it's where you're most innovating that it feels most like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. um, and as a leader, you are a visionary. You are a communicator. You are a salesperson. You are a mediator. You are a therapist. You are a a uh, fireman like you are a like you're gonna be putting out fires everywhere uh you're gonna be very you're gonna have to be very agile and one thing that's very important is you got to contextualize your your leadership you got you got to basically have situational awareness you got to be able to uh, make decisions that are, are are relevant to the context the more context you have the more understanding you have of the situation the better decisions you can make if you don't have enough context, you don't have enough information, you're going to make a lot of assumptions that are not healthy. So you got to make sure that you're not making assumptions, not uh, coming to pre uh, not letting preconceived notions get in the way of actually making informed decisions. And you also got to make sure that you're providing enough context for your staff so that they don't come up with conclusions because when they feel ignored, if they feel not included, if they feel uh, controlled, if they feel not valued, what's going to happen. They're going to come up with a lot of different negative thoughts. They're going to come up with a lot of different conclusions and that will lead them down a very not so productive path. And yes, as a leader, you will make mistakes. There are going to be moments where you're going to make someone feel excluded without wanting to. There are going to be moments where you are going to make someone feel insignificant without wanting to. There are going to be moments where you're going to make uh, people feel ridiculed uh, without wanting to. There are moments where you're going to offend people on your staff. And that's okay. If you learn from it, if you grow from it, if you're self-aware enough to work on it, if you have a constant pattern of making the same mistakes without learning, that's a separate problem. Yeah. But as a leader, you're going to make mistakes. And, I mean, we say it a lot as a leader, as an individual. If you're innovating, you're going to make mistakes. If you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you're going to make mistakes. If you're trying new things, you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. Take responsibility and find solutions quickly. Every mistake is an opportunity to grow. Here at Developed Development, every time we've had a major conflict, every time we've had a very stressful situation, every time we've had a mess up or, excuse my language, a fuck up in the business, we have grown as a team. Mm -hmm. We have leveled up. We have improved our organization, our processes. We have improved our, our approach, our communication, our collaboration. And yes, every now and then, when there's a bit of fatigue, when there's a little stress, there's uh, a sprint, there's new things, there's changes, there's different ideas, there's going to be disagreements, there's going to be meetings where people have different approaches and different ideas, and yes, there's going to be moments where people feel excluded or unheard, but if you keep focusing on getting 
to that goal, you focus on uplifting everyone and including everyone and making everyone feel heard, making everyone feel valued and bringing them along for the ride. Even with those moments of, of failure, even those moments of disagreements, even those moments where you want to kill each other, you'll get through it. Yeah. And, and that, I think, is one of the biggest things that defines a good leader. The ability to get up after a big mistake, get up and assume responsibility sometimes for other people's stuff. Oh I mean, yeah. I don't know how many times I've taken the bullet for other people where people are ready to kill each other. And I go, no, 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 that's me. That's me. That's totally me. That's me. Shoot me. And then let's move on. Like, you got to be willing to do that as well uh, because you got you to gotta keep moving. And there are so many distractions. There's so many moments where you want to give up. There's so many moments where you want to get so upset with someone because they do something so different from how you would do it, but you've got to keep going. And I think with personality psychology, improving your empathy, improving your awareness of different ways of functioning, improving your compassion, improving your, 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 your collaboration and communication and skills. communication and inclusion i mean those things will change everything for you because mm-hmm. from i mean one of the big things that led to development existing today yes one thing was uh, the challenges with with my sister and i having very different approaches very different personalities very different needs but another thing was in my previous business I had a very extroverted co-founder, a very introverted co-founder, two very, very different extremes of how to do things, values, priorities, thought processes, and they would basically clash every single day. And while I am a little bit more extroverted, I am an ambivert. I have a lot of flexibility with my personality. I can go both to extroverted and introverted sides. I have both sides uh, very clearly defined in me. So I was kind of a middleman, a mediator, but we had a lot of inefficiencies, a lot of conflicts because of lack of empathy, lack of understanding of each other's ways of being. And this was developed a lot to fix that. And when we saw how much it changed our business and, and more importantly, our personal lives, our confidence, yeah. our mm-hmm. just every part of our lives, that's when we felt an obligation to share this with the world. In the beginning, I had insane imposter syndrome. I was like, I'm a college dropout. Uh, My business has failed more than it has been successful. I, um, like, uh, I don't have a a degree in psychology. How can I talk about these things? But when I saw that in the market, there isn't a, a lot of great personality psychology content that's well packaged in an empowering way and in a way that provides you with tools to actually work with it and develop your personality and not just, ooh, this is my personality, this is my profile, and this is who I am, and so I can only do this, and I'm going to live with this uh, fear, well, this challenge for the rest of my life. It's just part of me, so I'm going to stop growing. I mean, there were so many flaws in what we saw in the market, so many things that were also scientifically invalid. And when we started researching, we found that at, at an academic level, there were some really cool experts, one that I strongly recommend, Brian Little. I mean, fa- fantastic guy, a, an introverted guy who who has learned to act extroverted in his classes 
um, by recharging his battery, by understanding which things uh, can help him recharge his, his social battery, but also by understanding what passions he has and being able to leverage passion and a lot of really cool stuff that we talk about in Develop Development with all the words, but we really learned a lot from him and I, I strongly recommend uh, exploring him if you kind of want a, a more academic take on, on personality psychology in an up-to-date, more empowering way. And we also have a book uh, in Amazon, a Kindle book. Yeah. Where we have the tools of Develop Your Element. Yeah, and on developyourelement.com, we also have uh, have a lot of information on this channel. We have a lot of free videos. On Instagram, we, ha we have a lot of free videos. So we try to kind of share this content through a lot of different ways. We do have workshops, live workshops, like live events, talks on stage, things like that at conferences. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when we talk about leadership, there's so many different things we can talk about. Last week, we talked a lot about team building. I think that's one of the most important things. I think another very important thing in the context of team building is building leaders, training leaders, inspiring leaders, having enough confidence to give other people more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. the moment you build leaders, they take ownership of things. And when they take ownership, they are more committed to success, more committed to the results, and they do better. And that requires certain confidence. And you d you don't want to be neither a micromanager nor a macromanager. You don't want to go to either extreme. With micromanaging, I refer to being in every single process, every single decision, and like being like, "What are you doing right now? And where are you doing? And what is that? And blah, 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 like, no, no, do this and change this, and like really controlling every single thing. You don't want to do that because then you lose sight of the bigger scale, and you also make you your staff feel invalidated and controlled. And if you go full blown macro and forget about the micro. What's going to happen? You're going to focus so much on the big picture that you forget about all the specific needs of all the different individuals on the team. You're going to forget about all the different processes that need to be resolved. You're going to forget a lot of basics. So you got to have a, a good balance between macro stuff and micro stuff, but never get stuck on neither micro nor macro. And maybe you are more of a visionary than a, a manager, let's say, and you're very good at the macro stuff, you're very good at the vision, but you're not good at the micro stuff. Okay, then hire a guy to take care of more of the personal stuff. I mean, that's what HR is for, that is what managers are for, that is what leaders are for. I mean, you can, if you're an introvert, how do you deal with the challenges of doing a lot of things that require more extroverted processes? Well, one thing we talk about in develop element is when you step out of your comfort zone, your heartbeat increases, your muscles get tenser, you start sweating more. Uh, but we can all do whatever is required. The toll it takes in our body and our mind is just different. So if an introvert wants to get on stage and do very extroverted things, if they recharge the battery, especially their social battery beforehand, they're going to have a much easier time than if they are already drained trying to do it, right? Mm -hmm. um, Brian Little, the professor I just mentioned, he talks about in the first morning class, it's very easy for him to act extroverted. He understands that his students will fall asleep if he doesn't make extroverted jokes, uses extroverted, if he doesn't use extroverted body language and tone of voice and projects his voice. Uh, and the first class is easy, but then in the afternoon class, if he doesn't take time during lunch to disconnect, lower social stimulus, it's very hard for him to act extroverted in the afternoon. But if he 
disconnects and lowers social stimulus for a period of time and recharges social battery, he can actually do a very good job being extrovert again in the afternoon because his passion gives him more battery. It gives him more flexibility. So the combination of passion and a quick recharge goes a long way. So yes, even introverts can do really good as leaders. Sometimes they do even better because they might put more thought into certain specific details, certain processes. Uh, but sometimes they're introverts that might have someone on the team that has more natural ease with more social responsibilities. So they might delegate that. It's like, so I'm going to be doing more of this. I'm going to delegate uh, this to you. And that works too. I mean, here at Develop Your Element, we have a little bit of an interesting dynamic, you and I, where I am more extroverted, you are more introverted, both have the flexibility. I mean, you've been on stage and on TV and radio, uh, both with me and without me several different times. Uh, and uh, I've done a lot of introverted stuff too in the business. We kind of have a, both quite a bit of overlap, but it is very, very clear that for you, certain more introverted processes are much easier. Yeah. And for <laughs> me, certain extroverted processes are much easier. Yeah. And by respecting and embracing that, we're not forcing ourselves to do processes all the time that can be overwhelming to sustain in a full-time basis. Yeah, no, the, there's definitely a certain relief when you get to do things that are within your comfort zone, within your established skill set. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, like it's very important to let people explore. It's very important to let people try new things. It's very important to allow people to go out of their comfort zone because we learn from that. We grow from that. But having a base where you can also be comfortable and do things that, you know, for me, I know there's certain things within the business where I just sit down, I get working on it, and it's just, it's so peaceful for me to do some of the things that I know for you would be much more stressful and much more No, a lot difficult. of the stuff <laughs> she does, if I sit in front of the computer and I'm like, okay, focus, focus, you can do this, you're more <laughs> capable than you think, <sighs> breathe, okay, <laughs> let's start, okay, okay, I'm getting a bit anxious, I need to move, I need to do something different, this mm -hmm. isn't working, okay, let me try to change to this other thing. Like, there are a lot of things that are too introverted for me in terms of like I work better on a team. I work better yeah. when there's a bunch of people around me. I work better when I can also delegate and kind of uh, toss ideas around. Uh, I work better when there's a full office full of people. I'm way more productive. When the office is quiet, <laughs> I go crazy. I go like, I don't know what to do. Whereas yeah. for you, you sometimes need to work at a coffee shop or in your own apartment, yeah. with your space, with tranquility. <laughs> Something we talk about, and we talk about in a previous episode with introverts sometimes, I mean, getting them noise-canceling headphones goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, today, the office was full house. You had to put on noise-canceling headphones and yeah. disconnect from all the chaos. <laughs> Whereas I was feeding off of all that energy, being more extroverted. Yeah. And so, so these are things when we talk about personality theory. And, and I mean, we're going to have episodes where we explore these things way more deeply with the, the elements of uh, developed element, but in general terms, just understand there's some things that sometimes you want to develop new skills. Yes, sometimes you want to build a support network. Yes, sometimes you want to find creative ways to do things more your way. Like, for example, I 
being a bit more extroverted, I think out loud. I am very agile with certain things. But sometimes there are some processes that are very difficult for me. So maybe I find creative ways to do things in a more extroverted way that get certain results that I desire. So sometimes I can be creative. I'll give you an example. In school, I wasn't the best at doing my assignments, but I was very good at charming the teachers. That goes a long way. So I used my emotional intelligence instead of my IQ. Like, do I use my skill sets to my advantage. That's something as a leader. you got to know how to leverage your skill sets, your, your strengths. Mm-hmm. But there's some times where you got to have enough humility and be like, yo, if I try to do this, I'm going to spend five months on it, and I'm not going to do half as good a job as if she does it in one month. Because she's going to do a much better job in one month than I'm going to do in five months. Sometimes you've got to have the self-awareness to, yeah, d- to, to yeah. just be like, I mean, I can do it. It's not that I want to f- like say I can't do it. But, but it's, it's... But yeah. It is a generous act when you're working with somebody who's comfortable in that space and enjoys that space too. Because sometimes we get into this mentality of, oh, I don't like doing this. It's a struggle for me it's uncomfortable for me i don't want to make someone else do it but someone else might be really happy to do that Uh, i know many of us on our team are really not a big big fans of phone calls uh and we would struggle with that we were sort of like try and delegate it amongst ourselves like no you do it this time you do it this time uh and when we got someone on the team who enjoys doing phone calls it was for all of us it was like wow and he's like it's no big deal. You know, I just do the phone call. I just talk to the people. I like talking to people. And we're like, thank you. <laughs> love you. Yeah. No, no, the, 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 that's the thing. Some jobs for some people are a compliment and a joy. And for other people, it's it's stressful. So that's why you got to respect people's processes, people's goals, people's contexts, people's personalities. Excuse me. And you can't force them to do things that... Work for other people. And that's mm-hmm. something that I made the mistake in my previous business. I was like, if he can do it, why can't you do it? If I can do it, why can't you do it? Yeah. Eh. <laughs> and this company, it's very clear. There are some people that very clearly focus on, on written stuff. There are some people that very clearly focus on graphic stuff. There are people that very clearly focus on video stuff. There's okay. a lot of overlap. There's a lot of things that we do, group projects. And I think there's a lot of value in having group pro- projects because it makes people feel that they're working as a team for a collective uh, a purpose. And a, a, But there's certainly an element of if you let people as a base work on their strengths, they're going to feel more capable, more successful, mm-hmm. more productive. And then in a smaller percentage of their time in collective things where they step out of the comfort zone, where they learn new things, they explore new possibilities, and that's valuable too. Yeah. But the more you put people in roles where they really thrive, where they really are productive, impactful, have fun, enjoy it, the better. For example, video editing. There's some people on the team that love video editing and it's a passion for them. There's some people that bang their heads on the keyboard <laughs> when they have to video edit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, you're getting better now. Now it's not as frustrating for you as it was Steve before. Steve saying that uh, Steve behind the scenes, uh, when he first started here, video editing and camera stuff. I mean, there was so much new stuff to learn, and he just wanted things to be basic to the point. He just wanted to like be able to just through intuition do everything. 
And when he learned that cameras, you had to understand shutter speeds, aperture, lenses, focal lengths, uh, <laughs> bit rates, uh, colors, uh, color profiles, <coughs> white balance, lighting conditions. I mean, there were so many different things. And then in editing, also, how do you edit with different frame rates? How do you edit with different bit rates? How do you edit with like so many different technical stuff? And while he he's a very, very, very technically inclined person, and in some areas even more technically inclined than me, we both are nerds, and our friendship has probably been uh, built on, well, definitely has been built on a lot of nerdy stuff, but... Uh, because he didn't have the context of this when he had to learn all of this stuff. And because his personality is a bit more extroverted, a little bit more impulsive, a little bit more faster moving, it was very, very stressful for him to learn all this stuff. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I believe the way that I managed to get him to kind of be less overwhelmed with this was relieve some pressure, make it a bit more fun because his personality thrives in fun. <coughs> so we started doing more projects with tech stuff, with his his personal YouTube channel and breaking stuff and tinkering with stuff and it became a bit lighter. Uh, so there, there's also that element that sometimes mm -hmm. people are going to have a period where they're going to resist something. I, I had actually gotten to a point where I was like, I'm not going to depend on Steve for video editing. And funny enough, now he's editing videos faster than anyone. Uh, Even and, and not only uh, editing them faster, but leveling up. Like we just had a whole day of filming B-roll yesterday because he was like, we have to have B-roll. we got to have this scene. He gave me a list of like 14 or 15 different scenes for one video. He was like, I need all these B-roll scenes. <coughs> Something we had never really done before. Mm -hmm. I've always oh. wanted to do it, but suddenly he got excited and took leadership on, on that. So sometimes you're going to, bang their head against the keyboard with something for a period of time, but if you find a way to unlock them, find a way to make it fun and light, they're going to suddenly become the ones to take the helm on that. And I mentioned previously the example of the guy who had said, I don't do a graphic design, I don't know how to do graphic design, who ended up being an amazing graphic designer. I can say the same with Steve now with video editing for a long time. He was like, the stuff that most drains me at work is video editing having to structure all that footage and different camera angles and like all the, the, I mean, there's so much stuff to think about that I like filming it uh, when it's easy to film, but like getting it into the computer and editing it, oh, it's such a pain. And his narrative for a long while was that. And now it's like, I need more video. I need you to film more stuff. I need you to do uh, 15 videos today. I need to do this. I, I want to get this one done. I got to, and it's like, I just finished editing this one. I finished editing this one. I'm just waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. So people can certainly unlock new skills. Mm -hmm. They can certainly unlock and change their like opinion on whether something is annoying or not. If you take the time to find the way that works for them that doesn't overwhelm them yeah. and doesn't trigger their insecurities mm -hmm. and doesn't make them rush and force things. Because I think mm -hmm. the worst thing that uh, you can do as a leader is force things or rush things in a way that doesn't give people time to find the way that works for them. Yeah. Because if you take the time to find the way that works for them, it's kind of surprising how many times people are going to be like, oh, this is easier than I thought. Oh, this actually works for me. Now I found my way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and being able to frame something within somebody's passions is a great way of doing yeah. that. So being willing to take the time to get people get to know people personally, knowing what they're interested in, knowing what they get excited about, knowing what the 
lose sleep over in a good way, yeah. uh, that's going to help you know how to communicate with them better. Um, I know one of the the things that really helped me set myself apart in the world of academia was listening to my professors really well, yeah. knowing what their personal interests were, wor knowing what their opinions on certain things were, because then it wasn't just me doing the assignments and doing the homework, it was also me speaking to them as a person. Yeah. Uh, and if you're able to implement that mentality as a leader, where you're able to speak to people as individuals based on what their context is, based on what their interests and passions are, it's going to be such a different process than if you're only within your own context. Right. Because yes, you have your context and your context is very valid, but not everybody's going to relate to it as personally. I mean, if you're yeah. a leader, if you have certain group goals that need to be reached, it's very important to make people feel personally attached to those goals yeah. because that's going to motivate them. If they're just feeling like they're receiving orders that they need to deliver to, they're not going to be as excited yeah. about it they're going to be more prone to a lot more conflict or less uh, high-quality work, less work ethic, and so on, because they're just receiving orders. They don't feel personally It's invested. like I mentioned earlier. One of the many traits of a good leader is being a good salesperson and a good communicator. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you got to do to succeed in that is contextualize your leadership uh, approach. For example, you being a more introverted individual, especially if you have the context of development, an airy uh, element, airy people don't respond well to pressure, urgency, high-stress situations, they shut down. Me as a leader, being fire, I respond well to adrenaline, well to high-risk, high-reward, high-stress uh, situations. So... If I lead based on what works for me, I will shut her down. Yeah. <laughs> and that it has certainly happened on has occasion. happened <laughs> on occasion. Uh, but if I understand her context and I go, there's no risk, I've got it covered. Sometimes I got to make say a white lie and be like, yo, don't worry, I've got it all covered, even though I don't. And I know uh, he doesn't. <laughs> but, even, but it's enough to relieve that yeah. pressure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's an, one of the things that has really changed the way that we work together. Because yeah. uh, growing up, there's always been a lot of love and there's always been a lot of mutual respect. Uh, and I, even to the degree of sometimes feeling insecure compared to each other because we saw each other's strengths um, and compare that to what we felt were our own yeah, weaknesses. But understanding how each one of us works we've been able to find a rhythm and a synergy that I didn't think was possible growing up. You know, I remember okay. as a young kid seeing my mom with her brothers when they'd be joking around and, mm. and, and just being fun and silly together. I remember looking at them and thinking, at what age do siblings become friends? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because Yannick and I have always loved each other. But we haven't always been friends uh, in the sense of really getting each other. I mean, oh, I had to keep them in separate <laughs> uh, parts of the house because their needs were so completely different. We, we, did like not, we didn't understand each other. No. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. We didn't understand each other. Yeah. We each wished that the other was more like ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> like... I remember growing up always pushing her to be more extroverted because I thought there was something wrong. Yeah. Uh, and w we say this in every episode. Remember that 
introversion is need for less social stimulus and shyness is fear of judgment. Shyness is something that affects even extroverts like myself. Mm -hmm. I've been shy in certain environments, certain situations where I felt insecure. Um, and uh, But don't mistake introversion and shyness. And with my sister, while she certainly is both an introvert and certainly is shy sometimes, I just assumed that everything was shyness and mm -hmm. that it had to be worked on. Shyness you can work on, you can overcome. Mm -hmm. Introversion, if it's part of your, 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 your biology, if your brain is wired a certain way, I mean, you're doing yourself a disfavor if you're trying to change that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, the reality is she's had way more success and we've had a much better relationship from the moment we started embracing that introverted side, yeah. understanding how to leverage the strengths of that, mm -hmm. uh, but also not judging her or feeling that she's missing out mm -hmm. because of it. Uh, but in my extroverted context, I always thought she was missing out. Mm -hmm. And I meant well, and I was pushing her to have more opportunities in life. But it's really important to contextualize your leadership with every key player in your, your, your business. And even the ones that aren't key players. But technically, if you're running a good business, every person is a key player. Yeah. Um, you got to know how to, to, to tailor your approach to every individual. You got to know how to unlock people, uplift people. You got to know which phrases to say, what uh, words to say. They're going to be very logical, structured introverts that need facts, structure, planning. They're going to be extroverts that need fun, adventure, and constant change. They're going to be ambiverts on your team that uh, need emotional, deep bonding, communication, vulnerability, where you just got to <laughs> listen to them and sit with them, even if it's you think it's totally unrelated to the business, mm -hmm. focusing on like their personal relationships, their kids, their dogs, their, I mean, things that you might not think are related with ambiverts in particular, taking the time to kind of just listen to them, ask personal questions, create a more personal deep bond. That goes a long way. Yeah. Introverts, they're a little bit more private. You'd go too deep. You'd go too invasive. They're going to be like, yo, 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 what <laughs> are you doing? That's You're invading my space. You're, you're inviting this my privacy. This is a work environment. I need separation. <laughs> but ambiverts are like, it's so impersonal. It's so like, they don't care about me as a person. They don't value me. They're just using me. Like, they can get into certain narratives if they don't feel a personal connection. So... How do you manage those personal narratives? How do you avoid people making assumptions? Well, you contextualize your leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, previ the previous episode, if you haven't checked it out, check it out because we talk about team building. So that's why in this particular episode, we didn't go too much into that narrative. But it's certainly important. It's one of the most important things in terms of leadership. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of different topics. I've, I think we've shared a lot of different things. Is there anything you guys feel we've missed I'm uh, looking forward to next week. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> next week's it's it's important. It, it it adds a lot of value to leadership because it it's as I mentioned in the beginning, interconnected goals. As a leader, you got to know your long-term goals, your short-term goals, you got uh, goals, you got to know when to put a lot of energy in something short-term because it will help you get to your goal and you got to know when something is an absolute distraction that will not change your path and even if you ignore it, you'll still get to your goal because one thing that I ask myself every time there's uh, an 
urgent, stressful situation, I ask myself, will this affect me in five years? Yes or no? And if so, how? And then, based on that, I start trying to understand how to proceed. But mm-hmm. if it's something that won't affect me in five years, I won't give it as much importance. Um, and you you got to interconnect those goals. Because one thing, if you don't have a bunch of stepping stones that help you get to your long-term goal, you're going to get fatigued. Yeah. If you don't feel like you're advancing, if you're following a carrot on a stick and you feel like the distance is always the same, you're going to burn out and feel like you're not a, a achieving stuff. If you have a bunch of smaller uh, goals that you can celebrate on the way, you're going to feel like you're constantly advancing. So there are many different things that go into the conversation about interconnecting goals. And next week, definitely check that out. Uh, it's one of our absolute favorite topics because we've all gotten sidetracked with stupid stuff. We have all uh, uh, made short-term decisions that take us totally away from our long-term goals. And we have all managed to sometimes make our long-term goals so long-term that we've gotten fatigued and lost sight of uh, and track of things. Or forgotten so how to live and, 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 and yeah. enjoy the moment. Exactly. Well, yeah. no, that has never happened Yeah, it's a topic that we're all very excited about. And I think uh, in this episode, there were moments where we maybe wanted to talk yeah. about <laughs> that because yeah. it's so relevant to this topic. But we are making it its own topic because... Yes, it's relevant to leadership, but it's also relevant to just how do you live your life? Like you might not be in or be seeking leadership positions, but you might just be wanting to improve your own quality of life. If you have to manage your family. No, and even yeah. in a leadership position, your personal life, your romantic mm-hmm. relationships, your friends, your I mean all your environments, all your connections, all your uh, actions they are interconnected yeah. yeah so i mean you can't look at leadership and not look at your home life you cannot look at only your home life and not look at your career everything is interconnected when it comes to that stuff yeah. so you got to define your goals in both uh, like both your personal and professional and you got to interconnect them because if they are not interconnected boy you're in for a bunch of disappointment yeah and a lot of unnecessary sacrifices so so yeah i guess we wrap up yes thank you very (laughs) much uh it's it's uh we're we're so grateful for your time we're so grateful for the support and uh yeah see you same time same place next week have a good one